0: several verses, but there's just three quick thoughts we're going to look at in here that I think will be valuable for us to think about before we um, move away from this book. And as you'll see when I read in just a second, this is actually, I think, a really good passage to think about here on New Year's Eve because this is Paul is basically at the end of his life and he's at the end of his ministry and he's looking back over his time through the things that he has seen and the things that he has learned and he is passing it on to Timothy who is his young companion, who is looking forward at what his ministry is going to look like at that point. So I think this is a good passage for us to meditate on here as we close 2017. Uh, let's, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If not, then it is in your worship folder, and you'll have everything you need right there. So let's Let's read God's Word together. 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 2 Timothy 4, chapter 8. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and John Briss opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted." While evil people and impostors go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a passage that is about endurance. This whole thing from chapter 3 through chapter 4, and Paul is calling Timothy to endure in the faith, to endure in belief in Jesus and in hope in Him and what He brings. And I was thinking about this week. I've been reading a book. You might have read it called A Walk in the Woods by a man named Bill Bryson for probably the last couple months on and off again. Uh, i pick it up. But it's a great book. It's really lighthearted and it's funny. And it's about the guy named Bill Bryson who is a writer. And he thinks for his next writing project, a good idea would be for him to through hike the entire Appalachian Trail all the way from North Georgia to Maine and to write about the experience and write about the trail and some of the issues regarding the environment and other issues that pertain to the making of the trail and such like that. So when he's preparing to go on this journey, he sends some letters to some friends to see if anybody wants to go and nobody responds except one guy uh, ends up getting wind of the trip. His name is Katz. And he wants to come with Bill. And Katz is kind of an interesting character. He's in and out of jobs. He's in and out of trouble. He's kind of overweight. He's not in shape. He's not the outdoorsy type. But in Katz's mind, he thinks that a trip like this is going to be a great cure for boredom. It'll give him some adventure. It'll give him some companionship and some sense of purpose. Um, And it could be a really great thing to help him in his situation. So he comes on board and begrudgingly, Bill ends up letting him come. And what happens is this. They get out there and prepare. Cat shows up and he is way out of shape. He has very little equipment. His backpack is full of mostly little Debbies. And it is obvious that the journey ahead of him is nothing like the journey that he is going to experience. And very quickly, when they get out on the trail, then Katz learns that the forces outside of him are much greater than he anticipated. The terrain, the weather, everything is much more difficult. And the forces inside of him, his will, his breath, his muscles, all of those things are far weaker and less prepared than he had ever imagined. And I think this is a really good metaphor for the Christian life because a lot of us, you know, and Paul is particularly encouraging Christians here and how to endure in the faith. A lot of us come to faith, you know, because we see something lacking in ourselves. We see a lack of purpose. We see, you know, a sense of loneliness, a sense of weakness. And we see what Christ offers, we see his grace in the community. And the purpose and the identity that are found in Him. But then, once we start out on that road and we start to experience real life and what really happens in life, then it can quickly become like cats on like cats, not as kitty cats, on the trail, uh, where it is nothing like we expected. And when we are confronted with that kind of unexpected hardship that we're not prepared for. It is very easy for us to become disoriented and discouraged and for our motivation to keep going and persevering, for that motivation to go way down. And this is kind of a situation that Timothy is in here that Paul is instructing him. You saw this long list of stuff that we're going to look at that Paul is instructing Timothy that this is going to be a difficult road and you need to be aware of what is coming. So Paul is writing to encourage Timothy, and we're going to look on as he does this on how to persevere all the way to the end. Just as Paul is at the end of his life, and he is anticipating the reward and the goodness that's to come, what does he have to say to Timothy that he'll persevere? And there's just three quick things I want to look at, and they're wrapped up in three, my summaries of three commands that I think Paul is giving Timothy here. The first is don't be surprised. The second one is stick to the story, and the third is eyes on the prize. So we're just going to look at those three things uh, as we kind of summarize this fairly large passage here this evening. Uh, first, let's turn to the first thing. Paul says, don't be surprised. If you'll just look at the first 13 verses of chapter 3, starting in three one, then Paul says to Timothy, understand this. And that's just Paul's way of saying to Timothy, don't be surprised. He's like, what I'm about to tell you is something that I want you to be aware of and to not forget and lose sight of, but to keep right in the forefront of your vision. And what's that? He says, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. And what does he mean by the last days? When Paul refers to the last days, what he's referring to is the time between Jesus' incarnation his coming and his death and resurrection, and then his second coming when he will come again to bring a new heavens and a new earth. Now, when that phrase is not specifically referring to a time just before Christ's second coming, but all through the prophets in the Old Testament and through Paul's writing and through other apostles' writing in the New Testament, when they're talking about the last days, it is most often this time period between Christ's coming the first time and it's coming the second time in the new heavens and the new earth so what's the effect of this Paul is telling Timothy I want you to understand that your whole ministry what you've been called to is going to be lived out in times of difficulty it's not going to be easy progress it's going to be tough sledding and it will be full of unexpected hardship at times and why is that? If we go on, we see the first thing he lists here is because people will be lovers of self. And this whole list of things we see are applications of just that phrase. That there is unlimited possibility of ways for people to be lovers of themselves. And he doesn't mean this in a way that all people have dignity because they are made in the image of God. He's not saying that you need to hate yourself. What he's talking about as we specifically see in this whole list of stuff here is that a love that says, I'm going to get mine and get whatever I want at the expense of anyone else. It doesn't matter what the effect is, that this is a self-focus at the expense of others. And you can look at this list, and we can look at all these things in great difficulty, but what I really want to do is summarize. Like we say again, this is... This is a a very long and creative way for people to be lovers of self and to prioritize themselves if if we look through these. But what Paul is essentially telling Timothy is this. You have been called and you've given a task as a leader in the church and as someone who is called to um, preach the word and to do ministry, that when you do it, The things that you see is not always going to be progress. What's going to be in the forefront of your eyesight, oftentimes is not, is going to be filled with situations and with people that are very difficult to work with, and that's not going to be ideal. And don't miss too here that Paul is giving Timothy this warning here, of what these things, it's not just that he's going to be confronted with them, but all of these things. I wonder how many of these you relate to, even when we read this list. Several of them, I mean, I do as well. That there's always going to be this temptation in order to join in with this than there is um, to persevere. And I think if we're real honest, we all in here, you guys, you all know this. You know what this is like. You know what it's like to go through life and for it to be difficult because people are really, really difficult. I mean, you're all in relationships. It could be with a roommate. It could be with a spouse. It could be with children. It could be with your parents, co-workers, bosses, church members, maybe the person sitting right next to you right now. Um, Because people are difficult. It's the call to live out the Christian life and to live a life of faith of hope in Jesus is often hindered and made very difficult because of the self-love that everybody, you, me, everybody out there are consumed with. And when we're faced with that, what it can feel like is a very disorienting kind of sensation. We're like, this isn't really working right for me. You know, the situation that I'm in... You know, if I would be able to trust and to follow Jesus a whole lot more if this person or these people would just get their act together and they would let me do it. Have you ever thought something like this? With us, we've said more than once in our household, if our children would just get on board, we might be able to be good parents. You know, and they have probably thought the same thing about their parents. If my parents would just be a little bit more gracious and kind you know, then our lives would be more full um, and we would be able to enjoy them. But Paul is saying here to don't be surprised. He called Timothy to be put in this situation. And while it might be surprising to Timothy all of this self-love and the difficulty that he would be confronted with and the seeming lack of progress, this is precisely the situation that God has called Paul and called Timothy and put them in. If you'll remember that Jesus himself didn't come in ideal circumstances either. He came when there was no room in an inn and he was born in a manger and there was a totalitarian dictatorship going on occupying the land of his people. And after he was born, then, you know, this crazy emperor murdered a whole bunch of children because of his own love for himself and his own reputation and honor. It was a mess. But that's exactly where Jesus came. Jesus came. And that's exactly the type of situation he intentionally came in. And Jesus is not surprised by that. He knows exactly what is in the heart of every human being. And with that knowledge, he has not shied away from coming, and he has not shied away from putting you and I in the positions that we are actually in. Because he knows that the work that he has done, the grace that he has himself, his ability to lead his ability to love, his ability to bring the journey to a conclusion is enough. It is enough for that. Where we might think the situations we're in were outside of the plan, somehow that the Christian life and the life of faith doesn't work well, that's not the case with Jesus. Paul says, don't be surprised that this is not an accident. This is what is to be expected but it is out, not outside the grace and the reign of Jesus. But where does that leave us? You know, this, that's willing good for in one way. But is Paul telling Timothy here that what I want you to do is just be jaded? Like, what, I, what you really need to do is to guard yourself. You know, you need to, you need to just sit back and when, when things are difficult... And to just say, well, you know what? What do you expect? Can't help that. Best just put your head down and go forward and not get too excited, not get too discouraged. Just put your head down and keep going. And that's not all that Paul's saying. That's the bad news in the beginning, but he gives something else. And this second instruction, which is to stick to the story. And he doesn't use this language. Excuse me one second. He doesn't use that language specifically, but what does he say? If you'll look here in verses 14 and 15, he tells Timothy to continue in what he has learned from his youth, and particularly these sacred writings. And what is this? And we have to remember that Timothy is half Jewish. We learn in Acts 16 that his father was Greek, but his mother was a Jew. And we, we learned in 2 Timothy chapter 1 that he was actually raised by his mother and his grandmother in the faith. And what would this have been? This would have been the Old Testament text. And Paul is telling Timothy, remember these texts, the Old Testament that you grew up in and that you, you have learned and become acquainted with your whole life, to continue in that. that it is actually a story given by God that gives an account of what life is all about, where it came from, what is the condition of man, where it's going. But it's not just the Old Testament, that this is a story that culminates in the present and with faith in Jesus Christ and with the revelation of his kingdom, which we see here in 4 verse 1. So Paul is telling Timothy, he is referring him back to the whole story of all of Scripture, that gives us this gives a framework for viewing life that is different from what is immediately obvious from Timothy's eyes and what he is going to see. That this is an account of life that is actually given by God from God's point of view. He said that this, all of the scriptures are actually words that are given from God. That gives his account of life as it really is that uh, Timothy can live by because it comes from God, it is dependable, that even when it doesn't make sense to him, that he can run to it and he can depend on it, that it is true, that God has given every bit of information that he needs to, that it is given in love by God to his people to equip them for life. So it is a story that trumps all other account of the world, however obvious or subtle that that might seem. But I want us to not miss and make sure it is real clear what this story is for. All these instructions to Timothy that this is not a story to just map on to Timothy's experience. Look at all the attributes that Paul says. That the word, it's for being preached in season, out of season. In chapter 4, is for repro- reproving, rebuking, exhorting with patience and teaching. Back in chapter 3, it's useful for training in righteousness for equipping for every good work. In other words, the story is given by God to his people to change us. It's not something that is for us to just receive and to plug into our life as we see it, however way we see fit. It's exactly just the opposite. It's given so that God's story would master us rather than us the other way around mastering God. And here's what happens often with you and me. If you're anything like me, when I get overwhelmed, when things are difficult, when I get frustrated with other people, and when I get frustrated with myself, even for my own failings and my own just struggle with my own self-love, then that frustration kind of takes up the whole periphery. It's all I can see. I mean, it's like the world is only as big is the frustration that is in front of my eyes. I think that's the same thing with desire, when there are things that we really, really want. That desire, that story of the way the world is, that we really need this thing in order to be happy, that becomes all that we can see. That's the narrative that is, it just covers over our vision. It's the same with ideas, ideals for life that we really, really cling to and we want. It's like a story that takes up our whole eyesight, our whole periphery, and we can't see anything else. But what Paul is saying, out of God's mercy, he is given another story. He's given another story that we have to cling to that comes from outside of what we see, that gives new information, new facts about our existence. And this story focuses and centers on Jesus Christ. It gives a new account of where history is going, that it is not going towards utter demise. It is not going towards frustration. It is not going even towards unfulfilled desire for the people that belong to Jesus. But this is a new story that he has given that we have, that we can become acquainted with and actually trained by and molded by so that we have the ability to see the world as God sees it more and more and that we can depend on him rather than being ruled so tightly by the narratives that blind our vision. It's a gift from God. But I wonder if you're thinking that's good news in a way. But if you've lived life for a little ways then you know deeply that there's a gap between the way we live and the way that God has called us to live. You know, we, even when we understand what God's asked for, the reason for this is because we all love ourselves very, very much. If there is one thing that we love, it is us. And the one thing we want to preserve and take care of, it is us. And we sink into frustration. Sometimes we might see the narrative that God gives But the circumstances we're in, the people we're with, even our own struggles with sin can seem so strong that we just don't have the strength in order to overcome it and to continue in hope. That there's a gap. We have all kinds of vices that we turn to in order to build us up and to help us along the journey in that gap between the life as we experience it and the life that we are given in Jesus. And what I want us to hear at the end is just to remind us of one thing. The last point, eyes on the prize, is what is the story all about? What is the story that God has given in the Word all about? Look at chapter 4, and let's just look at Paul's last words in 4, verse 6, as he is signing off, uh, moving to the end of his letter. He says this, "'For I am already being poured out as a drink offering.'" The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to those who have loved his appearing. These are triumphal words of somebody who is at the end of a long, arduous journey, and they're at the end, and they know that it is finished and it has been good. On one way we can look at these verses and it can sound like that there is great reward for those who run the race well, who maintain their own righteousness, who show up to the gates in one piece, who hold on to the story of God faithfully and truly and little by little stop the slip-ups. That's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is pointing Timothy to Jesus. When he says that Jesus is the righteous judge, what he is referring to is not that Jesus is the one sitting back and evaluating those that come to them, how much righteousness they actually have in them. Let's remind us of who Jesus actually is. Jesus is the one who came down in the middle of all the mess, who wasn't surprised, who endured, who followed the Father's will perfectly. And he died in the gap. He died as one who did not meet, who was credited with all of the issues that you and I face every day where we don't meet what God has asked us to do. But in his obedience to the Father, he was raised again. And with all the glory of heaven and the pride of his Father, his Father said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. And then he gave to Jesus the right that Jesus could give righteousness to any whom he would choose as a free gift. This is not somebody at the end of the race looking back and saying that I have run well, that I deserve a crown at the end of it. This is somebody who has come to the end and says that what Jesus did is good. And what Jesus offers at the end of the race is a gift of righteousness for him. That is everything being made right. That is a relationship with God that is free of shame. That is a relationship with God as children can come before the Father and ask for whatever they want and it be granted. To be treated like the most prized son who did the most good, who made the Father the most proud. This is the crown that Jesus Christ earned for himself and that his delight is to offer to his children who are tired, and who struggle and who live in that gap between the mess of their lives and what God has revealed in Scripture. It is a free gift. It is not something that can be earned, but it is a a delight that is given to those who look to in faith. So the perseverance that Paul is calling on Timothy is a perseverance of looking to Jesus, of looking to Him in hope, even in the mess That what he has done is enough to cover even that. That even our struggles with sin are not too much that can exhaust the perfection that he has earned. Jesus waits at the end of the road and even right now, he stands in heaven at the right side of God the Father looking over his children in pride because of the gift of his righteousness that he gives up. That is the prize. And that is the reason why The Christian life and endurance and hope and looking to Jesus is worthwhile and is worthwhile sticking with, even when the world that we see is not what we hope for and is not what we would ask and is more difficult than we can think. So as we we go in the new year, I just want to remind us all of these things and what the story is really about. The story is about Jesus and what he has done. And the story is about a free gift of righteousness and communion and love with God the Father that is open to all who would look to Him in faith. Let's pray together. Dear Father, this is good news that we hear in Your Word this evening, and yet even as You have promised that the road in the Christian life is difficult. Um, The situations we're in are difficult, and we are difficult With ourselves and we easily can get discouraged. So I just pray as you have revealed yourself in the word and that you have taught us that you would strengthen our faith, you would help us to look to you in hope that you would remind us of the gospel. You would remind us of what you have done and that we would be enamored and so enamored by hope in that gift that we would delight to look to you and to run the race of perseverance. Father, give us strength as we go out of here this evening into a new week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.